Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. Mike here at the top of this week's episode to introduce you to this week's guest, Mark Humphreys. Mark Humphreys is a writer, a comedian and satirist who has a brand new book out called On Politics and Stuff. It was released last month, uh, which is also when we recorded this episode. You may also be familiar with Mark from his work in the past with The Feed on SBS and his current work on ABC's 7.30. As I said, Mark and Will sat down uh, a few weeks ago now to chat all things uh, the current state of political satire and uh, Mark's career so far. This is a fantastic chat. Check out Mark Humphrey's new book on politics and stuff. If you want to support Willosophy, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month on patreon.com slash Willosophy. You get episodes of this podcast a day early. You get a Sunday morning episode of Willosophy that is also ad-free. You don't have to listen to any ads. That is your reward for supporting us. As well as that, you can support the entire TOEFOP network, of which Willosophy is a part of, by going to TOEFOP.com. We have three other podcasts, TOEFOP, FOFOP, and Two Guys, One Cup, all of which with uh, Will Anderson and Charlie Clawson. On top of that, you can also see Will and Charlie doing the TOEFOP podcast live at the Great Australian Podcast Festival at the end of the year in November. Get tickets with the link in the description below. If you like listening to Mark, you might also like listening to Victoria Zerbst, who is mentioned in this uh, conversation. She was last week's guest, as well as Charles Firth from The Chaser, who is also part of uh, this little network of people who are currently working together on various different projects. So I implore you to check them out. But for now, please enjoy this conversation between Will Anderson and Mark Humphreys. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and this is how the show starts. I ask my guests who they are. So, who are you? Uh, my name is Mark Humphreys and uh, I sort of make short sketches for ABC's 7.30 and, uh, and I'm available for other work if, <laughs> if anyone's listening. <laughs> I like when somebody just starts the show with a blatant pitch for I am available for other work. You might see me for a couple of minutes a week on the ABC, but I've got a fair amount of other time. It always makes me laugh when people say, gosh, you're busy. And I go, yeah, not really. Uh, If you have anything. (laughs) I'm glad you think that, but, uh, you know, it's not quite the case. Uh, so what other work, let's find some other work, because I mean, I know it's only I like a bit of a joke, but uh, what ideally, I always like to ask this sort of question at the end of the show, but let's just jump in at the start and ask it here. Any, you know, magic one scenario, you could walk into another job, any job, dream job, what is that job? Um, I, uh, God, is, uh, maybe everyone says this. I, I do think I am doing it. I, do, I really do think, because I think I did the, I don't think there's anything else I'd want to be... I don't think there, there is anything else I'd want to be doing. There are certain things I'd like to do within this industry that I haven't done yet. Um, one specifically is very niche, and no one wants to do this job. 
um, and with good reason. I'd love to host the Logies one day. I genuinely would love to host the Logies one day. I'm a huge fan of the Logies, uh, warts and all. Uh, so if that, you know, five, ten years from now, if there's still a TV industry <laughs> by then, um, uh, then I'd be I'd be very keen to do that. But within our industry, like there's still, I'd love to do, I'd love to be creating a sitcom. I'd love. Um, Evan and I to, you know, have our own sort of project that sort of, uh, you know, traditional half hour, that sort of thing. Um, you know, we're very happy being slotted into programs as we have been over the years, like 7.30. But um, uh, th- that'd be the dream, to have our own project that we can sort of, yeah, get up. Well, you know, you did mention the Lokis, and this is an interesting <laughs> area, because you did a great sketch for The Chaser at the end of last year, which was sort of your, like, you know... You, you're kind of, you know, uh, mad electronics businessman, carpet salesperson <laughs> going out of, you know, like yes. business. That, that to me, is where the Logies are going to go. <laughs> like, I think five years from now, Bargain when free-to-air television is finally completely going out of business, <laughs> I feel like that character could host the that's Logies. That's funny, yeah. Welcome to the last ever Logie Awards. Yeah. Every Logie must go. Yes, that's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's going to be the longest in-memoriam segment tonight. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so you you must have been several times. Um, uh, are you? What's your relationship to the Logies, Will? Not good. No, I've never... <laughs> I'm the opposite of you, which is um, I was in, I've been invited many times over the years, but I'd never gone because I, I I very much have always had a very consumer's approach to television, which is I've never considered myself to be part of the television industry. Mm-hmm. I'm a stand-up comedian, and in general, I make fun of yes. you know the pretenses around you know people who work in the entertainment industry, mm-hmm. and just occasionally I've dipped my toe into that world and. But I don't see myself as a television host. I certainly don't see myself as a television person. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so I went, I went once. I was pressured into going <laughs> by, I'll, I'll name him. I'm not afraid <laughs> to take him down. Andrew Denton. Oh, I was pressured okay. into going yep. by Andrew Denton because I was nominated for the Gold Logie and he thought it would be rude for me to not go oh, if I was to, nominated for the gold. You've for got the, to go for the gold. For the top award. <laughs> well, then I went, Mark, and I got really drunk and it was when Twitter had just first come out and I tweeted uh, so much about those logies that it made the front page of the Herald Sun under the banner Will's Toxic Tweets and oh. the next year at the Logies, they banned phones. Right. So that's my so, relationship with the Logies. At the next year's Logies, phones are in the in-memoriam <laughs> section. Um, that's... Uh, are there... Because are you someone... Were you a child of television in the sense of like... Because part of the appeal for me is like being in the room. And when I... I've only been once. I went in 2018. And Bert Newton announced uh, an award. And that to me, that's a, that's a, an absolute thrill. It's someone who's sort of been part of the, sort of the wallpaper of your life. Did that sort of side of things appeal to you or you're still even then <laughs> not at all no and look and that's not to mean that i and again this podcast is not about me although it is called philosophy with will anderson so there could be arguments <laughs> made that it is a lot about me but no i've always had a gentle affection and respect for those who've come before absolutely mm-hmm. like you know you understand that these people were pioneers of the industry that you get to work in and you would not get to work in that industry without those pioneers mm-hmm. there are some people i grew up watching shows like the big gig and um mm-hmm. you know andrew denton's the money or the gun so definitely yeah andrew has you know that sort of respect from me you know people like ted robinson the people who made the big gig wendy mm-hmm. harmer the doug anthony all-stars those sort of era of people i have a great reverence for 
but we didn't have commercial television where I grew up. I grew up in country Australia. Oh, right. So we had, well, we had one composite channel. It was Southern Cross and you just got bits and bobs of various you know, commercial things they saw in the city. And our parents had decided that wasn't really necessary for us to ever turn on. So basically it was just the ABC. That reminds me of like, you used to see things on like, um, you, know, uh, on, you know, Good Morning Australia with the sort of infomercials that there'd be things like, they'd advertise these things where like, oh, don't buy a Nintendo 64, don't buy that expensive thing where each game costs $90. We've got this new thing called the Super Play joy and it's got 84 games in one that's how i imagine southern southern cross is just like yeah we're just kind of we've cobbled this thing together <laughs> yeah quantity but yeah, what we've got is quantity <laughs> none of the quality that you want but plenty of the quantity <laughs> yeah if you like television just as a general sort of medium mm. uh then we've got you covered but we can't really kind of go beyond that but, um, yeah, you can't get you can't get the show bag at the show that is the one you want that's got the brand the Transformers bag. No, sure. but you can definitely get this one that is all the toys that didn't fit in the other bags. Right. So okay, so you had a different relationship to TV than me, but yeah. So I, I yeah. So I have an affection for the Logies, even though it infuriates me, and I am also extremely critical and you know done my own live tweeting you know from from the couch um, uh, over the years. I I, I, I I think there's you know I, I'm in awe of what. Dan Linton did as a, as a host and what McAuliffe did. And I, I just always, and I'm sure you're the same, just cringe at the, you know, tonight. And, you know, please, I don't want to name individuals, but just, you know, <laughs> please welcome the star of hit Channel 9 drama, blah, blah, blah. And from, you know, hit, you know, reality program. And then them together and that, that stilted, whatever that is. Um, and whether that's they're looking at that script for the first time did they have any creative input in it? Um, did anyone have any creative input in it? Um, and yeah, all that sort of stuff. I go, oh, this could be so much better. It just, I think you kind yeah, of, yeah. I, yeah. But sorry, I think I, that's yeah. that's part of my frustration. I think with that night is the idea that um, yeah, the Australian television industry, the Australian entertainment industry in general, I think often punches above its weight, and there mm. are brilliant things about it, and yet sometimes we celebrate the absolute worst things about it. <laughs> yes. And I think that is actually what my major frustration with it is. Not <laughs> yeah. that there isn't... I think I... I said this to Tom Gleeson, but I think I enjoyed what he did with the Logies more than he did. Oh, right, okay. To me, <laughs> that was the perfect... You know, he was able to satirize it, but be part of it in mm -hmm. such a beautiful way yes. that I could never manage myself. I would always let my disdain for the event <laughs> overwhelm whatever affection that I might have had for it. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm a big fan of that sort of thing. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Martin Short. I love anyone who is simultaneously, they are show business, they're part of show business, and they're subverting it, they're satirizing it, they're parodying it at the same time. So anytime you see Martin Short on a late night talk show appearance, yeah, he's plugging the thing, but he's also he's he's come prepared with material to poke fun at the host or at the format itself, and you know whatever else is going on. Have you had the opportunity to? Uh, did you go and see Martin Short and Steve Martin when they did the show in Australia? I not only that, I was extremely fortunate. Uh, they were coming to yes, yeah, so they came to Australia, and um, Lee Sales was going to interview them, but then Lee was not able to. And I said, oh, that's right. I said to the producer, oh, if you need any ideas for questions or anything I'm a huge Martin Short and Steve Martin fan and I just wanted to help out in any way and then Lee was not able to do the interview and then our EP said Mark would you like to introduce would you like to interview Martin Short and Steve Martin for half an hour I was like <laughs> 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 yeah 
Christmas. And so uh, that uh, that was just heaven for me. I mean, I don't, I'll, I'll be frank, I don't think I delivered a great interview for 7.30. I think I, de- I delivered an interview that I was very keen to have with them. Like, like I, I got, because I also didn't want to, because I've watched so many interviews with them, I didn't want to go through all the anecdotes they've done before. So I asked the things that I wanted to know about, but uh, n- not necessarily things that probably I should have been asking for a broader <laughs> audience but that's that in itself is an interesting thing because i mean one of my philosophies i have for this show is if somebody has been on i had andrew mccarthy do you know who andrew mccarthy is like the brat, brat Pack, yes of course andrew McCarthy absolutely on the show brat and yeah. i watched a whole bunch of the interviews that he had done around that specifically at the point of going i'm not going to ask him any of the questions that he's doing in any of the other interviews because if you want to hear the answer to those questions you can go to youtube and you can find another interview exactly. and you can find the answer to those questions if you want to know what it was like to work mm. with rob Lowe or you know those sort of things he's got a great anecdote about when his son first saw weekend at bernie's i've seen him do it three times he's got it word perfect sure. he's got the punchline in it it's really great i can yeah. send you some links but i don't need to ask him that yeah. question I would have thought, is that not a better approach to an interview anyway, to ask things that you are engaged in and you're interested? Did you notice that they were more engaged in the interview because they were being asked things they weren't traditionally asked? I think there were some things where I I got excited that I sensed that they hadn't been asked that before. There was one question, but then, I mean, I think my favourite bit from it was, because I always think that Martin Short would make a great Oscars host. He's hosted other awards shows, and Steve Martin's obviously hosted the Oscars before. And so I said to them, you guys, to me it's a no-brainer that you guys would host together. Has there ever been any discussion about that? And Steve Martin said, that's very interesting. <laughs> no. And, and it was... <laughs> And so it was, you know, it's a short answer, but it was sort of clearly so. And then Martin Short, you know, was, you know, falling off his chair laughing at Steve's, you know, answer to that. And so that was, I loved moments like that. And, but like there was another niche one, which was like, um, because I've listened to so so many interviews with Martin Short, I've heard him tell the same anecdote twice, but there's, but with a different impression in it. So he's told an anecdote once where I think on Johnny Carson, he said, oh, when I was a kid, uh, I went and saw Camelot, the musical, and I waited by the stage door to meet Richard Burton. And I, and I was so nervous. And he tells this story about being really, really nervous and sort of embarrassing himself in front of Richard Burton that he does his, and he does his Richard Burton impression. But in his memoir, he t- the same anecdote is there, but it's not Richard Burton. It was um, uh, uh, Shirley MacLaine. And so I said, uh, you know, Martin Shaw, this is the hard-hitting part of the question, of the interview. On Johnny Carson, you said that you <laughs> saw Richard Burton. In the book, you said it was uh, Shirley MacLaine. Um, who was it? And it was like, well, it's like well, it was Shirley MacLaine. And, and, and I was like, why, why, did you, why did you lie? And he's like, because uh, I can't do a Shirley MacLaine impression. So, so, <laughs> so um, which is what I thought was the answer, but it was just nice to hear it. So, and, and another thing as well, like when they arrived, this was off camera. Sorry, I'll stop talking about Martin Shaw moment but um when when this was just when they arrived but whenever martin short was on late show with david letterman um paul schaefer would always play the same piece of music to introduce 
Marty, and I get to call him Marty because I met him once, and uh, it was this theme, because they both grew up in Canada, it was this theme for, it was called like Hollywood and the Stars, it was a show that they used to watch when they were kids, and so he'd always come into this piece of music, and so when I'm sitting in the, you know, room at the Four Seasons waiting for Martin Short to come in, I've got my Spotify open ready to hit play on Hollywood and the Stars, and just, just to have that moment where... You know, and then he did his, you know, <laughs> sort of shtick that he would do when he was on Letterman. And, it, it, you know, so it was so self-indulgent for me. And apologies to my producers and the 730 audience <laughs> for, for delivering something that was so catered to myself. But I, I just wanted a, a unique experience with them that was not like yeah, everything else that had been done. I would much prefer that as a viewer. Like, to, to me, to see somebody <laughs> caught up in that moment to learn something about you is the same time that, that I'm learning something about them is all mm. I want from my experiences in the media. So yeah. um, why Martin Short? So this is interesting to me. So I, I know this mm -hmm. might seem like, but knowing what someone's influences are, knowing what, you know, you like, you know, tells a story also about what it is you do. And I think there'd be a lot of people listening to this really surprised that it's Martin Short that you're raving about and not mm. Steve Martin. Why yes. Why is it Martin Short and not Steve Martin out of those two that appeals? Yes, and to be clear, I love Steve Martin. And Hate one of the, Steve Martin uh, the, is what I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> Don't rate Steve Martin. <laughs> was he in the room? I don't remember. Um, but I call it the two nice amigos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, th th there was one really great moment that I had with Steve, which I was thrilled about as well, which is my favourite film, my favourite comedy film is Bowfinger, mm -hmm. um, uh, which Steve Martin wrote and starred in. underrated film. Hugely underrated. I'm so glad you said that. Like, the people who know it, like they really know it. And then there's the majority of people who've never heard of it. And it's insane to me that it's so, you know, poorly known because it's Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy. It's one of those you things know, yesterday where it's, we're in the middle of a, you know, unseasonable like three or four days of rain. And I think it was maybe even only yesterday that I was like, there's some real chubby rain out there. <laughs> <laughs> Great. The aliens come down and the raindrops, <laughs> making the raindrops chubby. Chubby rain. Um, so, yeah, for those who've never seen the film, that mean nothing, but go and you know, do yourself a favour. Anyway, so I got to say to him, because I always got the sense, yes, it was underrated. It doesn't get kind of the respect it deserves. And I said to him, point blank on camera, Steve, I've got to say, I think that Bowfinger is the funniest film ever made. And just to have that human moment with him where he got the sort of... I'm sure other people have said it to him before, but just it was nice to have a moment of that sort of, yeah, the validation or whatever that was. I mean, not that me telling him that it was good is validation for Steve Martin, but just, yeah, it was, it was lovely to have that conversation. And, um, yeah, anyway, so, that, so I do love Steve. But Martin Short, again, it is, yeah, it's that, because I'm so obsessed with show business and showbiz tropes and subverting those where possible. And I think Martin Short is just that masterclass in that. He's got lines, I quote this all the time because I just think it's brilliant. But he, like, I remember seeing him, he, he had a version, there's a version he does in America and then when he came to Australia, he changed the line. So I'll give you both versions. So in America, the, the line is, <laughs> he'll be on stage and I'll say, always remember what Donny Osmond taught me. Always leave the audience wanting less. <laughs> And I, <laughs> to me, that's just perfect writing. And in Australia, kudos to whoever told him. I think it might have been Michael Chamberlain might have been the one who had to tell him the local reference. But yeah, I always remember what Daryl Summers taught me. Um, so it's, you know... <laughs> 
<laughs> so, yeah, that that kind of stuff. That, that that's just my sense of humor. That really, really tickles me. Um, and so I recommend, like for instance, Martin Short's final appearance on Conan this week, because obviously Conan's just uh, wrapped up. Uh, that's again another masterclass in in being a talk show guest. And I love seeing that in the last few years, Martin Short's been really recognised as being the quintessential talk show guest. I think there's even it might have even been an article in the New York Times or New Yorker about it. Yeah, so it's that it's that show business thing because I love show business and Martin Short is show business and he subverts it at the same time. Yeah, I understand what you mean. I was lucky enough many years ago now to do um, a, a show with Martin Short in Canada, of all places. Oh, my God. I, I was doing a comedy festival in... Um, Calgary, maybe? No, no. I anyway, somewhere. I was somewhere in Canada doing a comedy mm-hmm. festival, and we look. It was like a gala event, basically, and you know he was the headliner of the gala, but it all meant that we were sort of you know backstage at this comedy festival in Vancouver. That's Fantastic. where it was, and um, uh, just delightful. Like, like, yes. it, 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 absolutely what you'd expect. You know, in a backstage mm. environment as much as he would be in an interview environment, as much as he sort of comes across on stage. You know, it still had Completely. that element of, you know, he was still a bit on, you know, there was still a yeah. lot, you know, it wasn't like suddenly, you know, he's all doer backstage and then suddenly he's Martin Short when the bright lights come on. There was definitely still an yeah. element of like, bang, I'm into something. Bang, I'm doing yeah. a bit. And yeah, very infectious. He's funny as well because he's someone who has, this is going to sell him short, but it's not what I, I mean. He's never had the absolute standout film, TV show, you know, series. Where it, the, it's, it's just a consistent body of work and just, a, just a, a level of performance. But you'd think for someone like at his level that you'd be able to go, oh, Martin Short, oh, he had, you know, he had the number one you know, comedy film year after year of year or whatever. It's, it's not really that. Like, yeah, he was in Three Amigos, but yeah, there was Stephen Chevy and then he had things like Clifford, which sort of is like a cult film. Yeah, he's a supporting character in the Father of the Bride movies, but he's never had the, you know, in my fantasy world, I'd, I'd write the project for Martin Short that's his kind of, you know, the wrestler or Birdman or whatever it is, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Because um, I just still feel like there's not quite... Yeah, I still feel like there's because I, I mean even I actually said to him like in the interview I said if because Jiminy Glick you would know who Jiminy Glick is but the, um, for those who don't know Jiminy Glick is a Martin Short character who's basically like the worst showbiz interviewer not really he's got a very superficial understanding of people's careers he's not really interested in them and um, so he I said to him like what what if if Jiminy Glick could interview Martin Short um, what would he say and he just stopped for a moment he went what happened. Um, and <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, uh, so, yeah. And I think Martin Short said, like, if someone asked him once, like, what would it be on his uh, headstone? And I think, it, I think he said, uh, almost, like <laughs> something like that. So he's always just kind of, yeah. I think I'm still waiting for Martin Short to have to really have that standout film or, or series but he doesn't need it i mean he's just you know uh, a genius so um let's talk about your headstone if if you know the worst happened tomorrow and uh, what would it say at the moment not what would you <laughs> hope it will say at the end of your long and very successful life that you're going to have but what would it say right. so far if we needed to just write up a draft of the headstone tomorrow what would it say yeah. it was uh, it was working two minutes a fortnight that killed him um, <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah good in short doses uh, uh, 
let's go with that. <laughs> so how did you yeah. find yourself working in the format that you're working in? Because like, I think a lot of people would be fascinated about, you know, the story of how one becomes, you know, Mark Humphreys with what you're doing on the ABC in particular, because that is still to this point, probably, yeah, people will know Pointless, which was like a game show that you hosted for a while. And they mm -hmm. might know you from various other appearances on like, you know, panel shows, you were a guest on Win the Week, an excellent ABC, you know, new quiz panel show, like people will know you you've got a book out uh with evan you both write uh, well evan and you work on these sketches together that you do mm -hmm. for the abc this is predominantly probably what people know you for is these abc yes. sketches so how did you and evan come to meet how did these sketches start to happen tell people a little bit of the backstory of how you got to this point sure well i mean the first show i worked on uh, and where i met evan was was called the roast and it was a two minute daily news show. So two minutes seems to be a consistent <laughs> we need a guy I, uh, <laughs> get me a packet <laughs> of noodles and mark humphreys because That's i only it. have two minutes yeah. and i want to <laughs> eat and make a sketch <laughs> So I didn't realize until I just said it that two minutes is a defining characteristic of my career. But um, uh, anyway, so we met on that show. Uh, that was the first thing I'd ever done and the first thing Evan had done. I, was, I, I started basically as a, an intern on that show because I knew someone who was working on it, um, a performer named Clark Richards. And uh, anyway, uh, Evan and I, you know, we'd be, we're all in, we're in this writer's room and, and you just, over time, you know what it's like in a writer's room, they're just people that you just go, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on a wavelength with that person particularly and so at a certain point we sort of went oh we should we should you know maybe just you know, collaborate on something or just see what happens so we we started just writing little little bits together and then when the the roast expanded from two minutes to a massive 10 minutes a night i mean this is you know big 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 show uh on abc2 in 2013 uh, there was now room a little bit more room to breathe and we carved out a little territory for ourselves at the top of the show which was a sort of rapid fire headlines segment because this is my other huge influence is norm mcdonald and again these things probably don't come through in my actual work i, I, I you know I, my, my influences are the huge stars and then I, it gets watered down to what i you know deliver but but norm mcdonald i always loved on weekend update on saturday night live and um you know he, he had that sort of very blunt delivery and uh I'm trying to think of which a joke that I can tell that's clean, but because um, all the Michael Jackson ones are coming to mind. But the, the, the sort of iconic one for him is like uh, uh, actress Julia Roberts and singer Lyle Lovett have uh, filed for divorce due to uh, irreconcilable differences. The uh, differences being she's Julia Roberts and he's Lyle Lovett. You know, it's just that yeah. kind of you know. And I always loved that. So I, I was like, okay, I want to do kind of something quite blunt. The show's very short. There's no audience. So let's just kind of just do kind of rapid fire you know, prime minister tony abbott tonight announced you know, and so that's where we started and that was like a real great education in joke writing just having to yeah just just you know your ten thousand hours sort of thing so it was evan myself and another guy named um, david ferrier and um so we did that for a couple of years and that show ended uh, the Guardian then picked that segment up. They took our little you know nugget of that show and and they um, put it online for for a while. So we did that, and then the feed called and said, "Oh, would you like to come and do comedy pieces on 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 the feed on SBS?" Uh, and so 
So then we went over to that. And so, um, and early on, the, the early versions of that were still kind of me recapping something in that style. And at a certain point, something happened where I think it was there was the Department of Finance released a video which was horrendous. It was a, uh, you might remember it, if not, please go and look it up. It was extraordinary. It's basically about the Department of Finance graduate program. And they decided to fill the, 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 you know, the promotional material with the actual students and the people involved, which is fine. But they made them perform. They gave them dialogue. It wasn't just like a fly on the wall thing. It was like they had actual scripted dialogue. And it was people who just, it's just not their, that's not their thing. They're yeah, not, yeah. They're that's, not, that's fine. Like we're not getting actors fine. to, you know, do yeah, stuff exactly. at the Department of Finance either. <laughs> that's it. So, so it was so stilted and un, un, just unnatural conversations that people would be having like, uh, you know. Hi, Denise. I'm really looking forward to the motivational speaking program at the end of the day. I hear you're doing a great presentation. Thanks, Michelle. I've been working all week with me. Oh, that, oh God. Anyway, so we had this idea. Of, well, what if we did that? What if we did a parody of that, but we did it about working at SBS? And so it's all. So we did this yeah, very stilted version of walking around SBS and having these absurd conversations about, um, oh, hey, Paul, uh, uh, what are you doing here in the archive section? Oh, just uh, just reminiscing about the, the old European movies. Uh, you don't see Bush like that these days. Okay. You know, it was that sort of, those sorts of interactions. And, um, yeah, so that was the first one where it was like, it wasn't just headlines. It was like a, it was a sketch. It was a, it was a sort of its own thing. And so then we started to play. So I'm giving you a very long answer here, so I'll try and, I'll try and be quick. Uh, and then we, so we, that then started to become our thing of, yes, the two, the two to three minute, Sketch, a parody, a um, a t you know, a, a, like a PSA or um, yeah, a message from the government, all those sorts of things, and um, yeah, we just did loads and loads of those on the feed, and then developed, I suppose, enough of a reputation that 7.30 decided... Because 7.30 hadn't done satire for a long time. They obviously had had Clark and Door, but then Clark and Door you might recall then became its own thing at like 655 what, what sammy J, the, the slot that sammy jay's now in um and so 730 hadn't done satire for many many years and they had, for whatever reason decided okay well, let's let's give it a go again and so that that's how we ended up um there how did you feel about the pressure of that because you're at the feed and by the way no bigger fan of the work that the feed is doing. I think it's going to be like oh, yeah. 10 years from now, 15 years from now, we're going to look at the amount of quality people who came through the feed on SBS and think, why weren't we paying more attention to that you know, show at the time? Because yeah. it's just incredible, the people who have come through there and the opportunities it's given yeah. to writers and producers and, you know, on-air talent and like, I mean, just an amazing place. And who else is doing it? I mean, it's just, I'm sure you've had this conversation many, many times. It's like, there's just, it's, it's so infuriating that there's just, you, there needs to be those places. And I've been very lucky to work on two of them with the roast and the feet. Those places that you can, essentially places that you can make mistakes. Places right. where it's sort of off Broadway. And, you know, if you get it right, it can go viral and fantastic. And if you get it wrong, it, you know, not a huge number of people saw it. It's not the end of the world. Um, and yeah, that's, 
so valuable. So yeah, obviously Jenna and Vic at the moment and, and Alex, uh, who I also worked with, Alex Lee, who I worked with at um, The Roast. Yeah. Um, and then you've also got people who are like, you know, writers like Ben Jenkins and Cameron James was doing it as well. And yeah, yeah Jan Michael Fran Hing. went through the Jan, And then Jan's whole thing. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, absolutely. The, this, the formation of, of the Jan Fran kind of that we now know and is so brilliant. And then, and then, yeah, so then there's all the other stuff. There's the actual quality journalism and um so you know that that incredible mm. place incredible and yes. i could not agree with you more and i think it's worth always stating when we have the opportunity to do it it's why the abc axing tonightly was one of the hugest mistakes that the abc uh, has made in the yes. last there just should be a place like that regardless of whether they change yeah. the host every night they change the team every night they mm. leave that slot to a new team every night it does not totally. actually matter but there should be somewhere where all those people can learn to do their trade because you look at all Precisely. the people who've come through the feed they are going to be the people who produce and make and you know shows yeah. for the next 10 years next 20 years and give other people opportunities the abc definitely always should have a show like that where people can be learning how to do those things well i think hungry beasts is is, is the example i always cite of of, of and that, i think it's a perfect case study of what happens when you do nurture that young talent that's you know that's a, a, a Denton Casimir Anita Jacoby program that you know the ABC put up for three years and you look at that team you've out of that you get Lewis and Veronica from you know Triple J so Lewis Hubbard Veronica Milsom you get Dan Illich and everything he I mean Dan has been so obviously you know phenomenal output and you know Rational Fear is podcast at the moment Mark Fennell who obviously hardest working man in show business he's had an amazing career Chris Lieben created basically not created Lee Lynchin, but he was the sort of Sven Garley behind the comic version of Lee Lin that we know today. Um, then uh, I'm going to, I'm now blanking on names, but it's, oh, uh, Monique Shafter went on to Seven Thirsty. Um, and, you know, it, 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 go, it goes on and on. And then there's graphics people and all. Uh, Elmo Keep. Elmo Keep, yeah, and sorry. Uh, like, Scott Mitchell. Yeah, so many yeah. people. Like, incredible. Like, I mean, basically everybody who was involved in the show has gone on to have yeah. an incredible career and create things of their own. Nick so Hayden. It's always yeah. money worth in... Yeah, yeah. Oh, now the Nick head Hayden, of entertainment right? at uh, yeah. the ABC created the feed, yeah. Um, yeah, so there's so many... Um, uh, yeah, it's just worth always mentioning mm. that those shows are so important and every time i see like you know the commercial network spend you know millions of dollars on some other shit reality show like i just think can we not just carve off 10 percent yeah. of this there should be a 10 percent commercial television tax that just mm. goes to the abc <laughs> yes, yes, and spend exactly, yes. it on developing the young talent that 100%. the commercial networks will later poach to make their yeah. shows i'll say one last thing you can't ask that it is born out of guys who worked on yeah. um hungry beast so you know and that is I, I mean that show is so valuable i think just to the kind of the the discourse in australia and the world now that there have been international versions so and that's yeah that was a, a relatively small investment from the abc you know 10 years ago or whatever it was uh and i actually interned on that show for a week um and got to see it firsthand and so i'm just uh, yeah great believer in that because that's the evidence is there that's what you then get but if you don't do that then i don't know what i don't know where the next you know pool yeah you know not everyone can go and be a youtube star or make it work on tiktok you know there needs to be a yeah. not everything pays off immediately yes. also like hungry yes. beast was never a successful show i mean it, hmm. as in like if you in, measure in, in, if exactly. you measure in success measure, in overnight yes. tv ratings completely it was a like 
at best mildly sort of you know watch show with like a loyal audience you know yeah. but never a huge audience but mm. if you measure the success of that show based on what we just went through which is the contribution yes. to the overall the legacy Australian yeah. television industry then it's one of the most successful shows in the history of television completely that's it exactly so, right so okay so you end up uh at 7.30. Now, regardless of the fact that, uh, you know, that uh, Doran Clark had moved to their own slot, they are still, I think, in the public's mind associated with the idea that Very their much. sketches were on 7.30. And anyone who steps into suddenly doing satirical stuff on 7.30, regardless of how much space there's been between Clark and Dor, are still stepping into those, like, into those giant shoes. Did you mm. feel that? Did you feel that pressure? Yeah, so Evan had a great line, which was in the press release, which we ummed and ahed about, about whether it was taken or not but it was said with love Evan had a line I loved about which he said uh, we, we could never fill John Clark's shoes um, because his family refuses to give them to us but um, <laughs> the uh, it, it's it's kind of it's how can I explain my relationship to it's weird because I I've obviously was always a fan of Clark and Dorr I, I, I and I'm happy to continue I'm not continuing their legacy but I'm continuing in that space uh, it's. I, I will be honest and say it is difficult sometimes to be compared against a thirty-year body of work, <laughs> and <laughs> sort of. Um, yeah. So on those sketches that don't, you know, yeah. absolutely, you know, you don't hit it out of the park. Uh, the, 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 the yes, that legacy <laughs> you wish sometimes could just sort of be a little less front of mind. <laughs> people and you want to go you know they had bad sketches too some weeks it wasn't yeah. always you know, it wasn't always the front uh, fell off it like that's that exactly. is just one sketch that's it. we remember that one but that's <laughs> you know there's a lot of other stuff but no but like they obviously had a you know very consistent yes. you know output and you know it was genius level but <laughs> so it's an honor to be continuing in that space but a, a, a tiny bit of a curse you almost want to be the thing that comes in I'm trying to think of an example of this. When there's a huge success, you, you, you don't want to be the thing that's right after it. You want There needs to be something else that doesn't work and then you come in after that. That's what you, you kind of want. You want there to be a, been an experiment that failed in between and then you can come out of that. But we're following on, yes, from this massive success and yeah. um, when uh, the daily show uh, when uh, john stewart left the daily right. show yes um because like trevor noah had a hard time for a while you know kind of yeah. establishing himself because he wasn't mm. john stewart and i at the time put my hand up and i said look i'm happy to come in and be the fall guy <laughs> it, like I'm, i'll host it yes. for a year or two and then <laughs> you can it. move me out and trevor yeah. can come in Fine. I don't want to host it for 10 years anyway. Like a couple of years hosting it would be enough. <laughs> Completely. You get it. So that's, yeah, that's anyway. So, but uh, that said, uh, we're extremely privileged and what an honor. And it, it's, and it's crazy. Like it's, you know, it's the flagship, it's the ABC's flagship current affairs program. It's, you know, it's kind of a, it's this, you know, valuable thing. And then we're given the license to go and, you know, do Barabbas loins, you know, uh, whatever we want to do. Do um, you have a, like a philosophy to, to your, because this, obviously this podcast, they ask people about various philosophies. Do you, do you and Evan have a sort of philosophy behind what it is you do? Like, you know, what is appropriate, you know, for mm -hmm. satire, what is not appropriate for satire? Is there any rules around that? I, I, I mean, I guess they're all sort of unwritten and you come across them as you as you do it. You, there's certain... And we've got a shorthand now that you know, there's a lot of just sort of unspoken stuff. But broadly speaking, I guess I'd say 
you know, you're trying to, you're looking at firstly, what's, what's the, ideally, what's the big story of the week? What's the thing that everyone's talking about? And what do we think about that? What do we have to say about it? You do want it to have some kind of a, a point. Um, I'd like to think that even if it doesn't necessarily come across, uh, that most of the sketches are at least giving some sort of point of view or having, having had there's some sort of thought that's gone into it. It might be packaged in, you know, an idiot in a Nakubra, but there, there's still some, hopefully, yeah, there's hopefully some sort of sharp observations that we've managed to, to lace through it. So that's sort of the first thing is like, what, what do we want to say? And then what is the form that best conveys that idea so yes is it uh, is it a you know saving saving savings that kind of uh, setup is it in the style of uh, the federal government wants you to you know is it more of a PSA yeah is, or is it is it an interview yeah what's the best way to convey that idea um, and so it needs to be something that ideally fits within 7.30, if that makes sense, in the sense of... Because we're not, we're not on a comedy show, you know? It's that weird thing where Lee suddenly has to make a sharp right turn <laughs> um, at the end of the program. And, and sometimes it may be completely jarring, I don't, I don't know. But um, you, you still want it to feel like it has, you know, it, that it's tethered to the big issues of the week. Uh, how much does uh, it give the public a sense of your own politics or how much is uh, there a confused message between what the public thinks you are about versus what you might actually be about? That's a... I know you get this all the time. That's a great question. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so I, I guess my answer to that is... Um, Okay, I think I think there's a perception of me as being. I think it's easy to just go to go. Oh, left, you know, classic ABC left wing comedian. And I kind of, you know, think I've the entire time I've been working has been a conservative government. I'm going to make. Uh, they're the target. They're, you know, and if and if Labor and the Greens do something ridiculous or hilarious or what have you, absolutely, you know, I'm going to go where the comedy is. But broadly speaking. Part of the job of satire is the speak truth to power kind of thing. And the people who've been in power have been a conservative government. So it's not that I come into it with this anti-conservative philosophy, though they, they often don't do themselves any favours. Um, uh, it is more reacting to, yeah, the week-by-week week things that come up. So if there is, yeah, if there is this culture of rorts or if there's this, you know... Uh, sexual assault or what all that sort of stuff i can't just ignore that i can't just sort of you know i i, I it, it's it, those things need to be what's a need is a strong word you know you do have to be careful about how you approach some of these topics um but yeah i'm not going into it with a what's the left wing view on this it's more just engaging with the sto the, the news stories as they come. And I, I, I've said this many times, and I try to put as much context to it as possible. I'd love there to be a Labour government, not out of some kind of, you know, philosophical approach you know, or in a kind of political idealism. It's, it's from a purely selfish career standpoint. Uh, I'd like to send something else up. I, I've done climate change for years. I just, I'm, I'm bored of it, you know. I, I'd, like to, I'd like to see what Labour can fuck up is, <laughs> I guess, what well, I'm saying. And I'm the saying answer there. would be plenty of stuff. Exactly. The, that's it. I they can do people, it. People confuse all the time being critical of one side. I think this is 
you know, politics is where it happens the most, which is if you are critical of something the government has done, that people think that that is you siding with the opposition, where you're yes. like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm happy to be critical about stuff they've done, but they're doing fuck all. They're in exactly. opposition. And, and I think yes. Al- Al- Albanese might be hiding in a hole at the moment. So <laughs> it's it. very hard to point the finger at anything they're doing. Completely. And, you know, we have done the occasional Labour sketch and it just, it, it always, not always, but it often just feels a bit kind of... What are the stakes? So what? Like, yeah, yeah. exactly. What are the stakes? Perfect. And um, so that's that's kind of what's happening there. So, yeah, oh, why don't you do a sketch about... I mean, I remember we did a thing about... Trump and it was like, why don't you do a sketch about Barack Obama? What? Like, this is topical <laughs> comedy. What are you talking about? Do you want to get me to get in a time machine? What the f- like, I just there's those things like that, and you know, and I never engage, but I just, you know, you just kind of swallow it. But you're just like, fucking hell. <laughs> well, this is the interesting thing about the ABC. I mean, obviously, when you work at the ABC, you know, taxpayers, you know, feel a real sense of ownership to the ABC in a way that they don't if you're working mm. on commercial television. I don't know if you noticed that from your <laughs> foray into the world of commercial television, but yeah. ABC viewers definitely feel like they have more ownership over yes. you know, the network and more right to complain about things that they don't like. And I think to a certain degree, they're right. You know, mm-hmm. um, Sometimes I think their complaints are spending more than their eight cents a day they're contributing, but that's, you know, <laughs> that's okay. It's fine. You do help pay for this thing. You have the right to engage with sure. it. It's also yes. what's brilliant about the ABC audience is that they do feel a genuine ownership about something when they like it as well. So mm-hmm. let's talk about the positive side of it. Have you found yourself, you know, do, do you really get a sense that you are being embraced by an audience? Because I think being on such a flagship, you know, uh, program on the ABC and like bringing to the table what you guys bring, I, do you notice the level of affection there is like from people for what you do? Yeah, yeah Yes, but... Um, how can I put this? Uh, I'm, I guess, because I'm quite, because I do put the, the sketches out on Twitter. Twitter is where I get most of my sort of feedback, right. and and it's it's lovely, and it's it's the retweets and it's the compliments and all this. And of course, there's you know criticism and people who hate it as well. But just like largely, it's been a really positive experience. But there is something impersonal about the the, the digital experience. So it's actually more often when it's it's those people who actually stop you in the street, and and if they quote like a specific line to you, that one interaction is worth a thousand tweets to me so there is that's 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 the really lovely part is when people yeah reach out to you in person and also as from the negative side of things most people who don't like you are too polite to say anything <laughs> in public <laughs> so, so, so that's quite nice that you don't have to you know touch wood you're not having to have arguments in public with people that might be, that might be the difference between me and you I'm thinking I think we've identified <laughs> what do people are you saying that people are rude to you or you go up to you, you go up to people in the street Paul Barry that episode of Media Watch was fucking shit stop being so smug <laughs> Yeah, get it. Yeah, that's something I actually would like to... I'd love to host Media Watch at some point. I'd love there to be a sort of comedic version of Media Watch. I mean, Paul Barry can be can be funny and witty and clever in his own way, but just I'd be interested to see that format exist as a, as a, yeah. a devoted kind of comedy show. I ask people on this show, Mark, if they have a life philosophy of any kind. Do you have a life philosophy? Is there some sort of like motto or prism or, you know, that you... 
When I when I st- I'm bring it back to Twitter again, but for a long time, my Twitter bio said, "Just trying to get through life without having an argument," and that's still really who I am. I'm so I'm non-confrontational. Um, I don't I really don't like having arguments. So when people, if I do receive you know, vitriol or what have you on Twitter. I, I, I just won't engage because it, it just, I mean, I, that's it. I have occasionally, you know how sometimes something just gets under, the, just yep. gets under the armor and you're just like, I just can't let that go. Um, you know, it might be, it might be, and it might be something really petty, just like, oh, you know, fucking private school. Fuck, I went to a public school. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, mate, you got my one yeah, thing. That's it. I might be a fuck, but I am a public school fuck. Um, and... Uh, yeah. So, but broadly speaking, I just don't, I don't, I don't want to be getting into it with people, and I do want to, where possible. I'm a big, I'm a big benefit of the doubt kind of guy. Uh, sometimes, to my, wrongly, sometimes to my detriment. I'll, I'll give an example where I won't say names, but I'll speak. Yes, I'll speak vaguely. There was a story that happened involving a federal politician where uh, there was a little a mini scandal occurred and then that politician came out and gave their explanation of what happened and i looked at it and i'm kind of yeah benefit of the doubt sort of going i go okay if they've said that i you know who am i to call them a liar who am i to say that i think that that explanation they've given sounds possible um so i'm going to accept that meanwhile everyone else go oh yeah right as if and i'm like in my head i'm just like just can we just not can we just maybe just the person they've, they've apologized they they've given their version of events let's move on but anyway fast forward to i was at budget lockup uh, a year later and i happened to meet someone who works for that politician and i said oh that scandal that thing that happened and 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 your boss came out and said oh this is what really happened so their version of events that's that's the real thing right and she went no no no, no. that was yeah. a lie no, yeah. no. <laughs> you know the thing that everyone thought that it happened was the true yeah. story she was just trying to cover it up and say because it was actually it was to do with a photo and I was like what really are you sure she's like I took the photo Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and I was like, okay. So that shook my, you know, benefit of the doubt kind of philosophy a little bit there. But broadly speaking, I am that sort of person. I I think I'd like to see a little bit more kind of good faith um, discord, you know, debate online where we just sort of, yeah, the because especially when people, you know, when someone does, you know, fuck up. um, Let's look at their track record. Are they someone who is clearly um are they someone who clearly means well broadly speaking and has just you know got it wrong this time or if they are someone who's clearly a malicious force you know they're, they're just a, a you know a blight on society yeah go for them just that that, that that's fine they, they've shown you who they are but when it's just like something where they they just they're just not on the money on this particular thing i would like to see a little bit more hey just letting you know uh, that actually, you know, you, you might not be aware of this, 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 and this, rather than the whoop, hit the quote tweet button, here comes a smackdown. Um, that, that's, yeah. yeah so my I, argument yeah. would be that, like, yes, absolutely. And I could not agree with you more, which is that if we treat them both the same, it also devalues the scorn you have for the actual racist or the actual sexist or the actual homophobe or the actual person who is spreading disinformation or misinformation. If you equate somebody, you know, leaving a word out of a tweet or saying something that has come off transphobic but they didn't realise was 
transphobic at all certainly wasn't their intention when they tweeted it or said it and you equate them with somebody who's going on the internet every day and like you know releasing those right. same messages it actually devalues the power of yes. you know, the, the people who are really genuinely yeah. should That's be you know, addressed on those things and uh and i'm a great believer in sort of like this i guess what's called call-in culture which is and I, it's something that i've done a few times where i've seen someone post something and i know that they don't know yeah. The, the, the additional piece of information that they I remember one was someone who posted a, uh, they posted a photo and they were mocking what the person in the photo and, and I reached out to them I DM'd them on Twitter and said hey I, I know what you're trying to say the, the reason the context of that photo is something that I don't think you should actually mock because it was to do with and it was it was actually a, I, won't, I won't go into it but anyway it was, it was there was a whole backstory to it and that person then went Thank you so much. I've deleted the tweet. I really appreciate you. Now, I could have gone, hey, everybody, look at this fucking asshole over here. But I knew that that's not really who they are. Um, and so I, it seemed to me more useful to just have it as a mini, I don't want to say teaching moment, but for better use of one of a better term, would be a teaching moment rather than a shaming moment and a potentially mental health crisis moment. Because being on the receiving end of fucking, you know, pylon would be fucking awful so anyway that's that's my general philosophy let's not I have mean, an argument yes, benefit of the I, doubt <laughs> well, give them a, I, I like it though I think there's some real value to what you're saying and I certainly think the world would be a better place if we stopped judging people for not knowing things that we ourselves only learnt in the last six months yes and that's, that's a, so mm. often what happens is like you're using the wrong word hang on mate go back six months you were using the wrong word right, just because it. you know it now give them the courtesy of sharing that information with them too yeah, let's operate from a sort of base level of everyone's trying their best um, uh, until they submit repeated evidence that <laughs> otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you talked about uh, misconceptions about you, the, the private school thing being one of them, because I think that that is... I mean, you do have a... I've got the aura, yes. You've got the aura of somebody who spent a lot of time at private school. <laughs> yeah, I went, to a, I, went to a, you know, I went to a nice public school. Don't get me wrong. It was a selective school. It was, you know, so I, I'll, I'll give you that. But um, uh, uh, sorry, that sounds classist, a nice public school. But, uh, fuck, I'm just, I've now dug a hole for myself anyway. Um, but yes, I've got this particular sort of look with the haircut and everything that sort of you, you can see a boater sort of fitting nicely on top of it um but so that's yeah i'm trying to think if there's any other misperceptions about me i mean the main thing i'm dealing with this week was i don't know i think you saw it the tweet from someone who said that uh, i look like someone who should be handsome but isn't <laughs> and <laughs> i look like was i look like a ken doll gone a bit wrong and that's that's given me a lot to think about um I've never never heard my internal monologue so clearly <laughs> articulated by a complete stranger online. <laughs> um, uh, but your yeah. look is something that you've obviously, you know, weaponized. It's been mm. something that has been incredibly good for you in your career in a lot of ways in that you've been able to play these characters in these sketches that, I mean, you bring a bit of funny to the table. This is, you know, it's often been said about comedy that, you know, there are two types of comedy. There are people who you know, can do comedy and there are people who bring comedy to the table. And I really feel like you have an appearance, you have a look. I was watching you on Win the Week a couple of weeks ago, and even just in your performance on that show, there was a lot of physicality in your performance. You know, mm. there was a real... You were like, here's a guy who 
is just bringing you funny to the table. Were you always a person who brought funny to the table? I think, you know, I think I was one of those people who sort of, you know, was funny at work, sort of, and maybe funny with friends. And you do, over time, and enough people say to you, Oh yeah, you 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 you're really funny. You kind of go, oh, is that a am I act, am I just like you know every day funny or is actually is there something more to it? And so I think I was always you know because I worked yeah I worked in shops and I worked in a warehouse and so I'm kind of doing I'm doing shtick kind of to get through the day. Um, and to kind of, yeah, because I developed, <laughs> you know, ultimately a very bad relationship with the general public. Uh, I was worn down by them over, over several years. And so anything that could get me through the day with a bit of, you know, a, a bit of dancing or a bit, <laughs> a bit of, yeah, yeah, a bit of physical, physical shtick. Um, that's where I think that was my training ground working, <laughs> working in a shop. And just so what sort of shop were you work? Shops were you we working in? Well, yeah, I mean, it didn't lend itself to dance, uh, but it was, um, it was a sort of homewares gift shop, and um, <clears throat> it it just attracted a, a a type of clientele who, sorry, largely were lovely. But just there was just that percent. I mean, it's such a small percentage, but it's it's like that thing with the Twitter as well. You might get ninety nine positive tweets on something, and it's that one that again just gets under the armor and just you know eats away. And that's what the public were like. I think when we're serving them is most people lovely, but then there'd be those one people who just person who's just like, uh, yeah, what's uh, what's your best price on this? No. God. The, be the best price is the price that's on the sticker. I'll give you fifteen dollars. Well, no, it's not. We're not haggling here. This is not how this works. Uh, let me speak to your manager. Oh God! And so all that sort of stuff, and that just that just wore me down. And and I also had uh, I had three. I worked in a video store, and I had three armed holdups oh, really? when I worked there. And yeah, and and the so that didn't help. Uh, <laughs> and and it was that thing where I was so. You know, and I was so I was so polite. I've always been a very, or at least tried to be a very polite person and customer service oriented and um, service with a smile. And I was still in that mode as I was being held up. So to the <laughs> to to the point of just like you know, empty the till, and he's got he's got the knife and he's wearing a mask. And as I'm emptying the money out of the till, I'm like, sorry, would you like that money in a bag? <laughs> Um, you know, it's just I couldn't couldn't break out of that. Um, so yeah, that's that's yeah, that's so that's you know what, what was I'll going put a on of there. As well. You might need something. For yeah, the that's right. Yeah, you might need something for the ride home. Fairy floss, popcorn. That's it. I tell you what, Pirates of the Caribbean is fantastic if you haven't seen it. Well, if you are. Um you know, in that situation, is, is there a gun involved? Is it a knife? Is it a syringe? Like, what's the what? It, I mean, it, tell me what's going on here. Every time, it was always a knife. So, I, I, a gun, I think, would have. I don't know what that would have done to me. A knife was sort of scary, and you know, obviously, potentially um, lethal. But I, I, a gun to me is so that that's such a. I, the thought of that really anyway but yes but that said a knife was three times was very very scary um but even then i can still sort of see it's funny my relationship to it as well has changed whereas like i think at the time i was very angry at those people um who did that to me and whereas now i go gosh what a terrible state they must have been in for them to think that was the way to deal with it or to you know that, that they needed to do that so i have a I, i'd like to think i have a slightly healthier relationship to what happened there that 
I was a victim, in, in, but they were, they were a victim of their own circumstances as well. And I try and kind of focus on sort of the more amusing parts of it, which was like, so twice the person, it was a different person each time, but two times they wore masks. And one time there was a guy who just, just came in, just, just showed his face. And, um, and so I was sort of shocked. I was, I was sort of surprised when he suddenly revealed the knife and said, empty the till. Now, afterwards, you always have to go to the police station, file a statement, you have to do an identity kit, and they try and, you know, draw the face, you have to describe it. And it was this thing where the, the, the officer said, oh, can you describe the man who attacked you? And I said, uh, I heard myself say, uh, he was surprisingly handsome. Um, yeah, I felt like he was, he was quite good looking for someone in a life of crime. I, I no wonder he didn't want to wear a mask. <laughs> he, he just had a it, really exactly. beautiful face. Why cover up that baby? Don't, yes. Don't, yeah, the, the, the only crime he committed was uh, against me and you know, my heart. Um, but uh, no, he was, so it, that was, a, and of course it's completely useless to a you know person with a pencil, but uh, so, you know, it'll surprise you to know that they never caught the guy. <laughs> so, um, but uh, yeah, that was that. That's how my mind was operating in those in those circumstances. Okay, but, so um, yeah, obviously, you know, the, this is in Sydney. Are you growing up in Sydney? Yes, in Sydney. Yes. So, yeah. what's your uh, you know family life like? You know, is there mum and dad both in the picture? Do you have brothers and sisters? I don't know much about like you know where you grew up and what no, your family situation is. No, sure. Well, I'm, I'm I am an only child. Um, I never had. Uh, yeah, 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 it's yeah, a lot of know. lot about that. That if I was a profiler, taking a little guess, I might have yeah. locked in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can yep. put the sketch away. <laughs> and I can tell you exactly who this guy is. Um, the uh, yeah. So only child. Um, my I had no I had no pets. I'm not very good around animals because I didn't have I didn't have pets either. Um, I my parents uh, they're no longer together, but they were t they were together until I was until I finished high school, um, and. My my dad was a weatherman on oh. um, ABC TV on the weekends. During the week, he was work he worked in public relations um, in the meat industry. Uh, but on the weekends, he was a weekend weatherman. He'd been a broadcaster for about 30 years and then later went on to the Weather Channel on um, what was then called Star, and then later merged into Foxtel. My mum was in publishing. Um, and I lived in Sydney's northern suburbs, a, a very nice suburb called Crow's Nest, sort of, you know, in, within the electorate of North Sydney and a very conservative electorate. I was had no interest in politics. My grandfather had been a politician and actually w represented the Liberal Party um, in uh, Gosford uh, in state parliament for close to a decade, something I've only kind of really understood a little bit better in recent years. Um, and, uh, yeah, but I was had no interest in politics and just had a, and had a just a very nice sort of uneventful upbringing. I d didn't, you know, I, I was so, again, won't shock you, squeaky clean, didn't do drugs, didn't smoke, didn't do any of that, didn't skateboard. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Which is a yeah. gateway, I even, believe, to, even to the, drugs. Even the fact that um, that's your third example. <laughs> Smoke, take drugs, or skateboard. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I learned everything I know about, you know, from Heartbreak my, High. My but, mum once um, found a Thrasher magazine under my pillow. <laughs> <laughs> and she took me in to speak to someone, yeah. But I was always the kid who, like... I don't know what the, what the classes were called in other schools, but did, were they called PD, personal development, no. in your 
they were sort of so what, what uh, is it next Explain to PE. You. So PD would be like drug education, sex education, okay. all that sort of stuff. And so I would I was the sort of kid who listened to that really carefully. You know, I was like, this is you know this is fucking hell. This this stuff sounds yeah. rough. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I just don't have yeah I've got nothing I've got no experience of that world and and so that's yeah so I, I'm I, and still none and like still, did you ever like as you became an adult like I mean you're in the entertainment industry you're around you I, know those sort of things was there ever a time that you've been like tempted to dabble no genuinely no I, and I, I think I also just in skateboarding I'm sca- yeah no please about. yeah <laughs> Um, and uh, just a little cheeky ollie at a party. Or anything like that. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that skateboard lingo. I wouldn't know, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the, uh, all I know is Tony Hawk. That's about it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think I also gave off the aura of someone who was not interested. So I, it wasn't something. It just didn't come up. I remember my parents saying, you know, when you get to high school, these things will come, you know, come up. Never happened. I think I just gave off the. He's just not going to do it. He's just. Yeah, I reckon that guy's an undercover cop, to be honest. <laughs> <He's>, so. <laughs> That's completely it. So, um, I mean, I, I think, you know, I was offered, you know, uh, you know I've been offered a spliff and I did, I, I, you know, I was offered tablets at one party, but it was just, it tablets. just didn't, I don't know. It might, yeah, I don't, is that what they call them? <laughs> Actually. The you call them tablets. <laughs> Would you like a couple of tablets? I like that. I like that. I've come into this as a square and coming out of it a bigger square. Um, actually, I remember being at a party once where. Oh, stop laughing, please. <laughs> this is my life. Um, and uh, I, uh, oh God, sorry. You didn't even ask this. I just volunteered this you're information. You're calling them tablets. Is yeah. what would you pills? Is, it, is that what we say? <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. That's right. Sorry. But I remember being at a party once where... I remember these these guys from... These guys from Western Australia were were there and they were talking about Tower. They'd uh, they'd done a bucket. They'd done a bucket and I was going... And I'm in a group and I'm going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then my friend just threw me under the bus and she said, yeah, Mark knows what a bucket is. What's a bucket, Mark? You fucking... I fucking hate you so much. <laughs> just clueless. Um. <laughs> so when you, uh, the thing that people are curious about, I guess, when like somebody has been, you know, squeaky clean in that regard is like, what are your vices? Like, how do they manifest? Like, oh, I mean, because everybody has things that they would consider to be vices, surely. Like, you know, do you have other vices of some kind? Uh, my vices are really lame. Uh <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I find the most, the biggest stress reliever, oh, I'm such a dork, is karaoke. I love karaoke. I find that to be so good. We're so not the same person, Will. Um, the, we're, but uh, have you ever done karaoke? Are you open to karaoke or is it just not part of your <laughs> <laughs> Not part of your life. I'd have to have a lot of tablets. Yeah. Put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never live that down. Um, I'm going to get a lot of tweets about tablets. Uh, Mark, would you like a tablet? Uh, I've got Nurofen. Um, so I, I, I like karaoke. I like. I mean, I like eating. I, I really, you know, I eat quite poorly. So that, that, that's sort okay. of. Oh, uh, you really? Know, okay. So what? Yeah. What sort of? Yeah. What sort of food are we talking about? Well, right after this, I'm going to a fried chicken joint. 
um, you know, very fond of a, a you know a thick shake, gelato, all that sort of stuff. So that's that's where I kind of get my my joy from. And and I have children now. It's not of children are not a vice, obviously, but they give me they give me joy. <laughs> they shouldn't be, but uh, they they give me they give me you know great joy, obviously. But you know, I, uh, vices. I don't think I. Yeah, I think that's the closest I would describe as vices. I'm afraid to say <laughs> karaoke and fried chicken. So I grew up in a family where my father has never drunk alcohol never never tried it uh, uh never smoked right. a cigarette never you know done drugs obviously doesn't swear um mm-hmm. none of it for religious reasons just the that's how he lives his life and you know he's always been very happy being that person um but obviously you know like i used to have a joke in my stand-up that i i was like well if he's not having his share i'll have his share and my share and so <laughs> like do you think now that you have children obviously you, you know you kind of yeah, I mean, it's a fair way in your future at this point that you're going to have to have these conversations. But, like, do you think around that idea of at some stage I'm going to have to sit, you know, my kids down and talk to them about the choices they're going to make in this scenario? Yes, because ideally... Uh, maybe there's a better way to phrase this, but ideally I would replicate my experience for them. That I would like them to to be as... Dorky, un- <laughs> nerdy, dorky, exactly. <laughs> That's it. I, I'd like that. I'd be very happy with that. Um, and so I don't. I'm trying to work out what my parents. I, I, I wish I could actually better understand how I am the way that I am. I don't think. Yeah, why was I someone who who was so receptive to those messages, and how could I make my boys receptive to that? And I, that's that's what I'm trying to work out at the moment. Is yeah, if if there's some lesson I can learn from my own experience of why I was that way, and to be able to pass that on, because that makes me very nervous. I, I'm I, the main thing I'm actually more nervous about with my boys is just the whole social media experiment that children are kind of being put through at the moment, and it's you know that experiment is hard enough for us as adults, but I think. God that we didn't have it when we were in school but I really do worry about the the kind of the cyberbullying and the sort of just the expectation to have this sort of additional uh, you know school ended at 3:15 and it was it ended you know it's sort of that was it you kind of didn't you know maybe you know there might be other stuff going on but generally speaking you didn't you weren't then online with those people and getting messages from them and all that sort of stuff. So um, that's what I'm kind of anxious about, that side of things. And then, yes, at some point, all the other stuff as well. So um, it is, yeah. a, I mean, this is, I guess, a challenge of all generations, but I think it is a particular challenge of this style of generation. How old are you? Well, according to a contestant on Win the Week, I'm in my late 40s, but um, uh, I'm actually 35. Okay, so that means that the internet probably it was around for most of your teens, but really probably became, yeah. you know, like sort of the World Wide Web, like later in your teens, right? Yeah, so MSN was happening when I was in high school. But I had no interest in it. And people were like, oh, why aren't you on MSN? It's like, I've given you all my material. I, 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 from 9 to 3.15, I've, I've done that all. I need to go and refresh and get you know something else to come in with tomorrow. I can't. <laughs> so that was something Yeah, that didn't, didn't appeal to me at all. But um, yeah, so yeah, we, I managed to avoid that whole. But it yeah, does in some way. I mean, obviously, this next generation is going to be defined by the connection to technology. The internet 
age is the industrial revolution of our age, or you could argue an extension of the original industrial revolution, I guess. But the technological revolution that we now live in, the way that it's going to shape the world, the way that AI is going to become increasingly prevalent in our society, you know, robotics and mechanics and all these sort of things, but also just algorithms. The fact that we are raising an entire generation that is going to be slave to a, you know, series of algorithms and what effect that's going to have mm. on raising children, that it is going to be in incredibly difficult to replicate what your parents gave you because the world has completely changed. 100%, yes. Um, if, yeah, I mean, this is, sorry, this is a roundabout way of uh, dealing with that, but uh, even just down from a career standpoint, Dan Illich and I talk about this all the time, that we are children of television and that was something that we loved and we wanted to be part of it and by the time we got there, television was kind of yeah. dead, you know, <laughs> or dying. Um, and so, you know, my kids are not going to have a relationship to television. They'll have this whole other thing. And, um, you know, we actually pretend that we don't have a television because they got too hooked on, uh, you know, Paw Patrol and, and uh, Blaze and the Monster Machine. So our television is, is hidden in a cupboard and is, uh, in, quote, unquote, broken. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, t I'm terrified for what that, what future they... I mean, I guess, you know, each generation adapts, I suppose, and it will seem normal to them as they're sort of going through it. Um, but it does feel like a massive leap between our experience and theirs. Whereas I feel like, the, you know, my parents' experience versus our experience growing up to me is not is not as is, it's not it's a big difference. But I think it's a bigger difference that these kids are going to have to us. Um, and so I'm I, I'm I'm wary of like. This is, I don't know if I'm right about this, but just like I'm, I'm kind of worried about like to what extent are kids going to be expected to be online presences? To what extent? Because you see kids on trains, they're always like filming each other, they're doing dances, and I just like surely there's a whole bunch of kids who are just not interested in that, but feel like oh, I better be on Instagram and I better be on TikTok and like are we just breeding this generation of people who need to be on all the time and need to be putting out content i just that kind of you know leave that to me please right but um yeah, yeah. don't take my i don't i'm worried don't about this generation job. of content makers as a content maker <laughs> as a content maker but just like what if yeah but just as a sort of a general generation where that is so kind of normal um i'm kind of interested to see what that what where that leads <clears throat> yeah, I, I think it, I mean, incredibly interesting as a parent. And the other thing I suppose is the, you know, the broader picture. You talked about the amount of sketches that you've made about climate change. Um, do you look at mm. the world that your children are going to be growing up with, uh, with optimism, with hope, with fear in regard to, you know, the challenges that are going to face them? So I, I, my, my general attitude is that I am hopeful, but not optimistic. So I, I have, I still have hope that things can be sort of, you know, that we can sort of course correct and that there's enough people in positions of power in the world that are trying to do the right thing broadly. I'm very encouraged by of course, you could always do more, but I'm encouraged by Joe Biden. I'm encouraged by Boris Johnson even. I mean, that's Boris Johnson for all his you know, other character traits does take climate change seriously. I am anxious about Australia's attitude to it. I think it's insane that we're still having this argument that should have been resolved a decade ago. Um, that does make me very angry. So I, I, that's where 
the optimism is is not really there but i i um because i can't really see a, a way forward on that in the immediate future I'm, i i just because in my head the other thing in my head scott morrison will be prime minister for a decade i think he's absolutely worked out how to just roll along and bring enough people along with him who you know and maybe a fair chunk of people who aren't necessarily paying that close attention um because he just comes across as sort of you know daggy dad and he seems all right he seems you know goes to the footy all that sort of stuff um that um I, i can sort of see that we could be stuck in this rut for a bit longer i mean not that I wish uh, this to happen, but it may well be that other, you know, that um, sort of the realities of capitalism and, and everything that's sort of going on around us sort of forces Australia's hand on, on certain things. But ideally, we'd be much more proactive on it. So I am anxious about that. I, I'll, I'll be, I'll say something here which I probably shouldn't. Well, it's just I'm, I'm revealing more than I would normally. But like, I don't, I, I, I hesitate to put money into superannuation because I don't, not entirely convinced I'll be there to spend it. Um, and I know. That sounds really pessimistic, but it, there is part of me that, that just sort of feels like I just there. There are too many elements at play at the moment that make me anxious. That I, I, I just I don't see a clear future, um, and so yeah, part of me is just sort of like uh, let's kind of just focus on the immediate stuff because I just I'm just not sure there'll be a world to actually you know in which I'll be retiring. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? That I, I a couple of years ago. I was having a conversation with a, you know, a professional person, a therapist person about, you know, some issues that I was trying to resolve around my life and my career and these sort of things. And um, I was talking to her about this very small thing, but it was about the, you'll probably actually be able to see whole stacks of books here in my office behind me. And it was about that I, every time I went past a bookshop, I would buy a book despite the fact that I was like 50 books behind, you know, actually being able to read (laughs) those books. And she said something that was such a revelation to me. She said, sometimes your actions tell you more about what you think about the world than what your brain is telling you. She said, you're buying mm-hmm. you're buying for a life you want, not for the life that you are currently living. Yeah, and right. I think that the superannuation thing probably says a lot as well, which is that if mm-hmm. you're not going to put some extra money into super, and I would be exactly the same, I'm like... I could do with that money now and I'm not sure I'm going to mm. need it in 20 years because I'm still probably going to have to be working at my job or some job because yes, that's it. I can't see a world. And it's also, t- yeah, no. And it's also tied into the housing market. Like I just don't see a future where I, uh, not certainly not in the immediate future where I can, aff- where my wife and I can afford to buy a house. Um, so I, um, you know, so I'm, I, yeah, I sort of feel like, well, I need just all the money that I can get now uh, on the off chance that suddenly the housing market crashes or something. Um, yeah, so I, otherwise, yeah, that to me, that's almost dead money um, in the, literally as in money for when I'm dead. <laughs> Oh, there we go. Well, Sorry. Uh, no, that's good, Mark, because it actually gets us to the point in the podcast because we've only got uh, uh, a few minutes, well, not very long left. And so I need to ask some of the uh, questions that I ask everybody on this show. And one of them is, what do you think happens when we die? Nothing. It's just nothing. And that's fine. I, I used to fear death terribly. I, I, I really, it really bothered me. I, I used to stay up at night thinking about it. And just certain things have happened in the last few years where I've just sort of come to terms with it and sort of not wishing it upon myself, but just like, I feel like, and and this is, this is so selfish. 
I got to do the job, the career. I got to go into the industry that I wanted to. I, I got to meet, you know, a wonderful woman and, and have two beautiful children. Is there much more? I, I, <laughs> what am I waiting for? I don't like, so sort of, I've, yeah, I've kind of done it, haven't I? I like, mean, some, I people, some people like to see their children grow up. But sure, I mean, yeah, the idea sure, of just having sure. them, I guess you've tick tick. <laughs> It's a tick, isn't it? Yeah. No, fair enough. Okay, I'll stick around. I'll stick around. For you, Will. For Do you, you care about um, the idea of leaving a legacy other than your children? Is there an idea? The idea I mean, you, Evan and uh, you have both uh, written a book now. It's it's out. Um, we should give that a plug mm. again. Um, so the book is called On Politics, On Politics and, stuff. and Stuff. Is it? What is the book, by the way? I haven't had an opportunity <laughs> to read it. Is it a collection of uh, you know, stuff that you've written for the show or is there other stuff in there well, or is it completely independent of that? It's it's independent of that. It's sort of um, – it's just – it's. I guess it's Evan and I's our sort of general summary of Australian politics, a very brief summary. It's a very small book. But the, all the books in the in the On series are small. It's not just that – you know. but again, it is in line with the sort of two minutes of fortnight philosophy. We didn't want to, want to write too much. Um, but, yes, it's, a, it's, it's just – it's a joke-packed – our joke-packed take on um, Canberra, Parliament, elections, the parties, the positions – um, yeah, it's 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 our sort of overview of politics with yeah and yeah loaded with as many potent jokes as we could we could pack into it. Uh, do you care about legacy? Was my question. Is there? Oh yeah, sorry. Do I care about legacy? No, um, no, no, not not really. I, I, I yeah, I clearly am mainly concerned about the things that will affect me while I'm alive. <laughs> um, <laughs> so. No, I think no, because I just because I just won't be here to, to to witness it. So I'm not overly concerned. But I want to I want to be proud of the work that I'm doing while I'm I'm here. And if it can live on, then that's great. But I also accept that most of what I've done is topical comedy and has a shelf life. And so the legacy of uh, you know sketches about uh, Nick Xenophon, I can't imagine there's a great you know shelf life for the, for for that. How do you feel about the idea of comedy? dating because obviously particularly topical comedy yeah topical sketch comedy there is a real you know possibility that you know something that was appropriate now is not appropriate six months from now a mm -hmm. year from now particularly 10 years from now if somebody was looking back on some stuff you're doing how do you feel about that idea that concept yeah, I mean, it's yeah. I mean, you, I guess you, you're trying to future-proof it and ensure that your that every joke sort of has the best intention. And um, but yeah, you don't. I mean, I think this uh, uh, this is not to do with comedy, but something which I think you know, like I love. I'm a meat eater. Uh, I love. I'm going to go after this. I'm going to go have some fried chicken. It. We may well end up in a world where we will be absolute. Our generation and, and the preceding generation will be absolutely just blasted for. What were you doing? What do you mean you were eating animals? How dare you? Well, you know, when you knew the impact on climate change, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, that's something that could age really poorly. Um, but from a comedy standpoint, yeah, I mean, most of my stuff, I think, hopefully will only age poorly because people just won't understand the references. Um, but yeah, I can't think of... I mean, I haven't revisited older work, but I'm sure if I went back to early stuff, there'd be lines that I'd I'd, I'd kind of wince at. But I is there something that you've done that you regret? Is there like you know one that if you had your time over, you'd go, I wouldn't have taken that angle, I wouldn't have gone in that direction. 
Um, yeah, there's one that comes to mind, but I still don't know how I would have done it differently. Um, one, one that people can go and find is it, it was like uh, to do with the culture wars and I played a culture wars veteran and so basically it's like, you know, sort of like, you know, I fought in the battle of Yasmin Abdul-Majid. <laughs> I was, uh, you know, I was an active participant in the Adam Goods conflict, all that sort of stuff. But I wore, I wore camouflage gear in it. And some of the comments were like, that's disgraceful to service people or whatever. And it was like, but we got it from a costume shop. Um, so things like that, I kind of go, well, maybe I wouldn't have worn that. But in my head, I was like, well, I'm, I'm painting a picture. Like this, it, It's the character who thinks that they're a, they're a fighter. They've chosen to wear that. So right. things like that. I mean, that's, yeah. So that, that sort of, that's, that's one example that comes to mind. Um, and but then there are like individual jokes that people... Um, call you out on and it's but it's hard to tell because sometimes that's someone's very specific reaction to a phrase um, and then other people weren't phased by it so I, I'm there are some things there where I'm like oh I actually don't know if I got that right or wrong but I know that I pissed off that person um, so yeah it's, it's one of the things that is probably it, it's for the best broadly but it is I do feel anxious going into a sketch worrying about gosh okay is everything that we're saying above board and, and not open to misinterpretation i mean there's always you can't control how people you know receive things but um you know there are there are certain issues you know that you you want to tread carefully around and um but yeah that's yeah, so I, I I must say the writing process is a lot more nerve wracking than it used to be. I would say. So um, on I'm politics, so, your observation of you know the way that politics is played. I mean, Evan and yourself are keen observers of this. You can't satirize it without having at least some observance and understanding of what is going on and what the pantomime nature of it is, and yeah, you know, what is real and <laughs> what is not real to to make what you do make sense. If I could give you a magic wand and you could change one thing about the way that our you know politics operates that would be beneficial to the general public not to the politicians themselves would be beneficial to the rest of us what would that one thing be um i guess it would be introducing politics um finding a way to i, I think to their credit, the upcoming generation is much more actively engaged in politics than I feel that my generation was, and myself specifically. I would like to see a greater effort, and this is actually, so this is not even so much about Canberra or anything, but just from a society standpoint, I think if we can find ways to get young people interested in politics from an early age and not have, you know, and not end up, and not end up with quiet Australians, like, I, I, I guess I think you want a politically engaged public. I think you do. I might I might regret this because obviously there are versions of political engagement which uh, you know end up in like a capital riot or what have you. But broadly speaking, I think I do want people to be aware of politics and understanding, you know, that these. It's not just, you know, a donkey vote or just going in and just, you know, oh, well, this is my local member, I'll just vote for it. I, I really, I, a greater sort of political literacy, I suppose, is what I would like to see. So that when on, on election day, when we don't have this chunk of 
40% or whatever it is of Australians who just don't know what they're doing and then making this really valuable decision that has as much weight as anyone else who is really engaged with it. So if there was a way that we could encourage, yeah, especially f through school, um, people to be more um, keenly aware of, of, of politics and, and engaged with it, I'd like to think that would lead to um, better outcomes. Uh, I, if you could wake up one morning and, uh, you know, 10,000 hours style, your 10,000 hours were done in your sleep and you suddenly have a new skill. So you don't have to work at it. You just wake up with this skill. What is the skill? Well, it's clearly skateboarding, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, the, uh, the, 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 the honest answer, which is, uh, again, another very square answer and, and depressing, I, I, I can't drive and I have a fear oh. of driving and I would like to not have that fear and I would like to be able to drive and to not have that cloud hanging over my head. Yes, that's, that's something that is so basic to the vast majority of people, um, but maybe if I'd learned to skateboard, I would have become more accustomed to being on four wheels. Um, they've got four wheels, don't they? <laughs> now you sound like a guy who's intentionally trying to pretend you don't even know what a skateboard is. Just <laughs> lean into it. Four wheels? I, I think you should always <laughs> lean into the kind of persona that you've created for yourself. Um, yeah, so that's, yeah, that's the dull answer. Um, uh, which I could do, and and then and then like piano, like I just um, there's something thrilling about seeing music pour out of someone's fingers. I, I love that, especially that. Uh, I was going to give an example of a specific song. It doesn't matter, but yes, that 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 would be wonderful. Okay, so uh, two more questions, and uh, <laughs> and then we are done. I have a little uh, piece. This of, is the uh, is this the squarest interview you've done, Will? <laughs> I mean, by far. I'm going to suggest absolutely <laughs> even, by far. Not even close. No comp no competition. <laughs> and I'm trying to think of somebody else who'd even... Like, I mean, Julia Gillard was on the show, former Prime Minister of Australia, <laughs> Julia Gillard. And she, you know, I mean, plays, plays a pretty straight bat because of the nature of being a former Prime Minister. But no, sure. I'd say you've... Her circles inside your square would be my... <laughs> Oh God! I think she's. I think she's probably dabbled in a little skateboarding in her time, Julia. <laughs> without me wanting to wildly speculate. Is there anything in my life I've done that can buy me some credibility right yeah. now? I think I've no, I've blown no. it. Sorry, you had, what was what, what was the next question? Two questions. Uh, so the first one is this: I have a little uh, inscription on a thing on my desk that says, "What would you attempt if you knew you could not fail?" So if success was guaranteed, what is it that you would love to attempt? Oh gosh. Well, I guess. I guess I would maybe, gosh, I guess I would enter politics. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, I, I obviously I spent a lot of time thinking about it and writing about it. And, and so, and sometimes you feel like you're not doing enough by just, you know, mocking it. Um, hopefully you're, you know, illuminating certain aspects and bringing some relief to people or whatever. But really, ideally, if I could go into it and know that I would come out of it uh, relatively unscathed, by which I mean, I just think going. Into, I think people who go into politics are either incredibly courageous or like or crazy, and you know, and so many of them. Is, you know, is it any surprise that so many of them are kind of shameless? Because you sort of need to be to be able to kind of deal with the, the barrage of, of criticism and uh, um, you know analysis that sort of and rightly so. I mean, they, we we should be holding these people to account, but also just like it's also maybe not human to be. <laughs> 
scrutinized. Okay, that level. so let's extend this thought a little bit more. You're guaranteed mm-hmm. of success. So not only do you go into politics, but your agenda is successful in being implemented. What is mm-hmm. the key point in the agenda? What is the one thing that you're bringing in to you know, change the nature of Australia? Um, well, because we sort of covered climate change, I think I would actually, I'd, I'd, I'd say education. Uh, and this is, again, partly I think maybe because I was a public school boy. I'm not fond of private schools. Uh, <laughs> I really would like to see public schools properly funded so we're not in a situation where those who have wealth feel like they need to take their kids out of those systems and put them into these other, you know, well, in some cases, palaces. Um, yeah, so I, I, I would like to see public education properly funded, that teachers are properly funded, that teaching is something that is valued, it's something that uh, people want to study and is, you know, it, it's so cliche, but the teachers should be, uh, you know, some of the highest paid jobs. Uh, I think similarly uh, within healthcare, you know, the, the, the healthcare workers who are, you know, criminally underpaid, that's that whole area. So I guess a sort of um, redistribution of wealth in that sense of of recognition of, of, of the work that goes into these jobs that are really valuable but are currently undervalued. No, I think it's totally appropriate that a nurse who's working on the front line during a pandemic for two years gets paid the same <laughs> as the guy who's making two minutes of satire on the ABC per sure. week. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, you got me. Um, so, yeah, no, that's, I, that, I guess that's... Great stuff. I've really, I've, I'm meant to be in a meeting, so I really need to finish this up. This has been <laughs> okay, fantastic. Sure. We could talk all day, but I uh, <laughs> sent them, a, it was meant to start at 11.30, and I sent them a message going 11.35, and now we're at 11.36. So, we'll, yep. you know what? I'll be five gotcha. minutes late to the media. I've already told them I'm going to be five minutes late too. Um, they can't start without me. That's the good news. There we go. <laughs> so, there we go. That's it. Yeah. Who are going to report me to? Me? Um, I have yeah. a time machine. I can take you to any point in the future, any point in the past, any point in your own life, but you don't have to visit yourself. You can just go on a random trip to somewhere and observe it or change it. Whatever you mm. would like to do. All I need is the machine back at the end of the trip. Uh, where would you like to go? Uh, I'm going to give you a sad answer <laughs> and then I'll give you a, a lighter one. Um, I would go back to when I was, I think, eight years old and my grandfather was dying in hospital uh, of cancer and um, he asked uh, me to give him a kiss and I didn't. I was scared because he was in hospital and he looked very sick and I didn't give him a kiss and I really, my God, why did I bring that up? Sorry, well, um, I really regret that. So I'd fix that. Other than that, uh, I'd go back to the 1970s and be a disco dancer. <laughs> I, 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 I love disco music. Again, just add it to the list of square things. Uh, I would have loved, I, I'd love to have been 19 or 20 in 1977 and to actually be someone who felt like I was of my own time. I've never felt like I was of my own time. So I would like to um, have that experience of actually being in tune with the music of my era uh, and because yeah i've just my whole life like triple j you know everything that you've done and and uh, in, in terms of triple j and everything that's come after that was so far removed from what i was listening to uh i'd like to actually be in tune with the, the time in which i was living <laughs> if that makes sense Mark, it's been a great pleasure. I hope you will come back and do the show again because I feel like we could just bang on endlessly and I am now so fascinated by 
your tablet-free life that I need to explore more (laughs) about this man out of time. Uh, Thank you so much for doing the show. I highly recommend that uh, people check out the book that Evan knew on politics that uh, Evan and yourself are responsible for that is out at the moment. And uh, thank you very much, Mark, for doing the show. Thank you, Will. An absolute thrill. This is a terrific podcast and it was a real honour to be asked to come on it. (laughs) 